All right. Welcome to A Minor Detail. My name is Ryan Miner. I am the host of A Minor Detail radio podcast. You can find me on the web at aminordetail.com, and I am here on blogtalkradio.com slash aminordetail. Today I have the pleasure of having an interview with Montgomery County Council candidate Bill Conway. He's running for an at-large seat. We did an interview on Saturday evening at his home in Potomac. And I'm going to go ahead and play that interview. So here it is. All right. I have with me, or I should start with introducing myself, as I always do. My name is Ryan Miner. I am the host of a Minor Detail radio podcast. I write for aminordetail.com. And uh, I've, I don't know, maybe broken a few scoops every once in a while. <laughs> the Scoopmeister. The scoop, Bill, Bill Conway, who is our guest today on a Minor Detail podcast, calls me the Scoopmeister. Um, but as I've already given it away, I am had the pleasure to be interviewing Bill Conway uh, at his lovely house here in Potomac, and we're practically neighbors. Um, yeah. You live, I would say, 15 minutes. I just go up at River Road and then go to Stony Creek. And then um, we live down by Travilla Elementary School. Well, out here in the West County, that's that's the neighborhood. Yeah. So Bill Conway is a county council at-large candidate, one of the 33 who are running. And so we're he's come off on a long day. He's had like 10 things to do today, I'm sure. Yeah. And you guys have been hitting the pavements, knocking on doors, out and about, all over, talking to people. And you've been at this for, what, about a year now, Bill? Uh, more than a year. I think I, let's see, I started this campaign really, well, before I left my law firm uh, more than a year ago. So it, it really started for me March 1st of 2017. Yeah. Wow. March 1st. Yeah, yeah. So you've... And you've decided to to run for for county council, knowing that it's going to be a. Did you ever think it would get this big? The field that would get this large? No, I knew it would. I I thought it would be large because there were three open seats and the availability of public financing, and because a lot of people are energized by Donald Trump, and Lord knows in my case that was true. I didn't think it would be thirty three. Yeah, people were definitely energized by Donald Trump, and he was two months into his term yep. in March two thousand and seventeen. And we were all, I know that I was biting my nails thinking, what's going to happen? How is this national election going to inspire people at the local yeah. county level? And so, and then, of course, they passed term limits, and several of the at-large candidates were term limited um, off the ballot. And I, I have a feeling if term limits did not pass, what, 70% of voters here? Yeah. Um, I think probably some of those ladies and gents would have still run for public office. At least I surmise so. Um, but nonetheless, it has opened up the field, and then Montgomery County did this great thing by passing public financing, and you're taking advantage of that. Yep. And I always ask candidates that I interview to briefly talk about their thoughts and ideas on the public financing system, since you are well-versed in it. Yeah, um, so uh, I didn't actually have to think very long, because I really like the public financing um, system. Um, it. I knew this sort of cerebrally when I started out the race. I know it now sort of more viscerally as as the race has progressed. And and it's the fact that you at the end of the day you're not dependent upon any one person or interest group. And even when you sort of take if you're if you're taking large contributions even if you're not consciously influenced by it, it's hard not to be unconsciously mm -hmm. influenced by it. But the great thing about the public finance system is 
It's no more than 150. It's only individuals. It's no more than 150 per person, if that. And so at the end of the day, you owe your victory, if you have it, mm. to the voters as a whole. And that's the way it should be. Right. And so it's liberating. So I, like I say, I knew that going in cerebrally. Now I kind of know it viscerally. It's hard. You have to ask and ask and ask. And we knew that. I'm, I'm happy to say that we kind of saw off, sort of far off, that a lot of people were going to be thinking this was easy, but we knew it was going to be hard and that we would really have to be disciplined because, in terms of asking. Because you have to start out with a certain amount of donors. Correct. And I think it's, what, 200 and some donors? You need to, for at the at, in the at-large race, you needed $20,000 and 250 individual donors to qualify. Okay. Uh, and we thought we could do that, and we, we did. But, but to really, if, if you look at the at-large race historically, um, most candidates have spent somewhere in the range of $350,000, something like that. And so we knew we'd have to be shooting for something in that neighborhood. 350. Uh, 350, yeah. And if you think about it, it sounds like it's a, a big number, but the facts are that Montgomery County is the largest county in the state of Maryland um, in, in terms of the sheer number of people that we have. We have over a million people here alone. Yeah. I mean, we were, I was talking to my boss yesterday. He said, you know, come to think of it, Montgomery County has more people than like five or six U.S. states. Yeah, it's it's a congressional – to run at large is a congressional scale race. Uh, sure. It's just done on a much smaller budget. Right, yeah. So – and you know that you have to raise some money to get your name out yep. there because you're a first-time candidate. Oh, yeah. Uh, you haven't run previously. Nope. And – but – you know, opening the system up to people that can donate $150, because that $150 with public financing ultimately turns into what, $750? Uh, $150 gets you $450 for the county. Okay. It's a, it, it, it's, a, it's a declining scale, so first 50 gets you times four, second 50 gets you times three, third 50 gets you times two. And approximately at this time, how many donors have um, contributed to your county council? Uh, we are somewhere, we're, we're trending up towards 900 wow. right now. Wow. Uh, we're, 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 not, we're not at 900 yet. I think it's like something like 870 or it, – it, I mean, it changes every day, but it's something in that order. That's incredible, Bill. I mean, that shows the testament to the people who are energized by your, your race. And I will say this, and I've experienced this watching you, that there's a lot of great candidates in this field. There are, definitely. And I think that what separates the candidates in this race is – the, the amount of the, just the, the absolute dedication and the hard work that you're putting into it. And, you know, it's like you, you guys, I'll speak to, for, the, for many of the hardworking candidates, but you specifically, you just, you don't take a day off. You guys are going 120 miles per hour <laughs> and it's, it's, you guys yeah. are just moving so quickly and I'm sure you're racing to the finish line, but, but seriously, you guys are very busy. You're all over this massive county. We we um we are, and it's not just me. Um, there's some really great candidates running. Uh, but I gotta, but but I have to add in there since you made me me and others sound a little bit superhuman. Like <laughs> I I would have to say, I think uh, I certainly and and I talked to some of my fellow candidates. Um, you know we're all getting a little tired. It's been uh it's been relentless seven days a week. Mm -hmm. Uh you know early in the morning, late at night. Uh, I've been doing this more than a year. 
Um, I'm ready for the election to come. And, and all my fellow candidates that I talk to, and, you know, one of the great things about the at-large race is you're not running against anybody. You're, you, you just want to be in the top four. So you can, you can actually have friendships right. here. And talking to all of them, they all say, God, I hope this election comes sure. soon. I hope this election comes soon because uh, uh, we're all tired. The biggest question before everybody started in it, when February 27th, which was the deadline to file, for the county council race, or in the state of Maryland, rather, with, you know, and then you got this massive number of 33. I was asking, well, how in the heck are you going to get all these candidates on one stage at one time? Uh, has that happened yet? Uh, it has happened. No. It no? Has not, it, it, well, the, the, the only, let's see, I'm trying to think. There, first of all, unlike other races, there have been very few forums because yeah. most folks who would ordinarily have a forum kind of look at the 33 and sort of say, uh, how do we do that? Uh, some folks, um, Leisure World, uh, Aspen Hill, notably, have sort of platooned it, sort of divided the field in half, and then had you know roughly fifteen and fifteen. Yeah. Um, and uh, even then, it, it fifteen candidates is a lot. Is a lot because if you figure everybody gets two minutes to speak, and then that's there a are, half an hour for opening statements. Right. Right. Just to, for opening statements, and then you have uh, questions to each. So. At Leisure World, uh, I had two questions mm -hmm. um, in addition to my opening statement. Yeah. Uh, so the alternate, the other alternative is speed dating, and there's been some folks who've, who've done yeah. that as well. But it's hard. Well, you're in the final stretches of this race, so to say, and I'm sure as your indefatigable wife, uh, Diana Conway, would say, "Suck it up, Bill, and keep moving." <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> Well, you don't know this, but there's actually, it's a family joke, the, what's our family motto, and, and it's not really, actually, it's actually my, a couple of my brothers and their families, but they, you know, what's the family motto, it's suck it up. Yeah, well, that's the Conway uh, way, right? So, <laughs> yeah. tell us about yourself, Bill, um, what's your what's your background, where'd you grow up, and what was your, your career trajectory like sure. that has led you to where we are today running for this at-large seat on the county council. So uh, I've been in personally in Montgomery County since um, 1984. A uh, year before I was born. <laughs> uh, now you're making me feel old. Nah, Thank no, you, Ryan. No, I, I really appreciate that. Um, and and that was before, uh, you know, I, I actually was a bachelor living in Montgomery County for uh, more than 10 years mm. before, I, before I met Diana, my wife. Um, but I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana which is not really part of the United States. It's a small Caribbean nation lodged up against the continent. <laughs> a lot of different... Cultural... I've never seen the accent come through, though. Well, a real New Orleans accent, which you will... Occasionally, it comes out in me. A real New Orleans accent, sort of center of the city accent, mm -hmm. is more like Brooklyn. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, sort of like, hey, how y'all doing there? But it's a French mixture, right? Yeah, it's like well, first of all, the French the French influence in New Orleans it, it's definitely strongly there, but there's as much of a Spanish influence as there is French if you look at the history. Uh, but in any case, uh, a, a sort of uptown where I lived it yeah. was sort of a flat accent anyway. But if you okay. if you really start talking about our true New Orleans accent, it doesn't sound southern at all. It's it's Brooklyn, and and I I I hypothesize this before I actually read it in research, that anytime you get a mixture of uh, Irish and Italian immigrants and mixing it together, what you get is Brooklyn. Yeah, it's true. I was in New York City. I was in Manhattan and Midtown on last Monday and Tuesday, 
and uh, it's it the, the the melting pot is just it's wild. It and I, you know, I had the opportunity to visit Little Italy, and my my mother's side of the t- uh, the family are Italian, so um, I'm sure we could probably trace some distant cousins to. Little Italy, sure. maybe even to Arthur Avenue up in Brooklyn. But you grew up in New Orleans, and then you um, you went off to Dartmouth uh, I did. for I, your undergraduate. I, I did, and um, I I thought I was gonna practice law in Louisiana, um, so I went back and uh, went to LSU Law School. But at the end of or towards the end of my career there, um, um, LSU was a great law school. By mm-hmm. the way, um, oh, yeah. I had a, a mentor who sort of sat me down. And he uh, he forbade me to stay in Louisiana. He said he told me that I would rot like a piece of overripe fruit if I just went back to New Orleans and you know practice law for the rest of my life. And uh, he was he was from Argentina, so he said I want you to go to the big time, Washington D.C. And uh, truth is, I I had had a an interest in policy. I had had an internship with Senator Benny Johnston during college. I'd always been interested in government, so I didn't take that much of a shove. And, um, so I started looking at, uh, law firms in Washington, DC yeah. and was hired for a summer associate position and ultimately for a full-time lawyer's position. And so that's, I came to Washington, DC right out of law school. Right out of law school. Yeah. And then is that when you moved to Montgomery County? No, I started, <laughs> I started out, uh, I was living on Capitol Hill and, uh, you know, I, I, first year I had to pay my taxes. Yeah. And I went, oh my gosh, that's a that's a big bite, and I I kind of need a deduction. So I I guess I, I I wasn't clear at that point that I was staying in this area, but I thought, God, you know, maybe if I could afford something, I should buy some real estate just to get an interest yeah. deduction. And uh, so I started looking around, and uh, you know, for what I could afford at that time, it was a two bedroom townhouse on Capitol Hill. Um, but there was this house out in, I didn't know it then, but Montgomery County that was like sort of what, more like what I had in mind, which was a yard. And it was, it was, a it was advertised as a three-story Queen Anne Victorian, which it was, uh, it was in Capitol View Park. And I sort of said, well, gosh, the, I, I called up the real estate agent. I said, gosh, this, this price looks kind of low. Like why? I mean, I, I've been reading enough uh, advertisements to know that, that, uh, yeah, this is a really low price. Like what's the, what's the catch? And she said, well, some people say the people across the street keep their yards kind of messy. <laughs> and I, and I thought, okay. So I, I went out and looked at the house and it was everything that had been advertised as a three, three story Queen Anne Victorian, so much more than I could possibly afford yeah. on Capitol Hill. But, um, uh, and it, it needed work to be sure, but still, it was a lot of house and it had a yard and everything. Uh, and I must have been wearing rose-colored glasses because I looked across the street and it's like, oh, no problem. Well, across the street was um, a horror show, pretty much, of of stuff in the front yard. And um, so I went ahead and I bought property. So here I am, this bachelor, young bachelor living in Montgomery County, and. Um, the people across the street, boy, gosh, do I want to go on podcast with this? Yeah, why not? <laughs> this is all factual. Um, it, it turned out that, uh, this guy is a former Hells Angel. He was dealing drugs. Oh. And uh, so, and how do you know that? Well, because of the number of people who pull up at two and three in the morning and stay 10 minutes and then leave. Mm-hmm. And um, occasionally the uh, the dogs would knock over their 
their garbage, and there were only three things in the garbage. There were Budweiser beer cans. Yeah. There were ramen noodle wrappers, and there were syringes. Oh. Um, it was it was kind of it was sort of a bad scene, and so you uh, decided to get out. No, so I'm sort of sitting there thinking. I'm sort of sitting there thinking, wow, and they're they're kind of dragging the neighborhood down, uh, and I'm thinking, uh, you know, how how can I ever get married? Even you know, this is this is sort of a kind of a perilous situation, um, and uh, events force themselves when one night uh, or early in the morning, I was awakened by the sound of a large caliber handgun going off. Oh man! And uh, you've never heard this? Story, no, I haven't. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of jumped up, and, and my house sort of overlooked their house. And um, I called the police, and I was and I was telling them that you know there's somebody shooting. And as I'm talking to them, I see the silhouette of a woman come backing out the front door with a uh, pistol in her hand, shooting into the house. Um, you know, gets off six shots. And at the end of this, and I I can't quite see exactly what's going on. I hear a blood curdling scream. And uh, for some reason, this is really idiotic. Uh, I said, and and because they, the police had said, stay on the line, do not hang up. Yeah. Because they had heard the earlier shots, and I said, I heard the scream. I said, someone's been shot. Send an ambulance. And I hung up. And I went running out there, and I I remember going down the stairs and thinking, well, this is going to suck because somebody's going to be dying. I'm thinking back to Boy Scout first aid, and I'm thinking all I can think of is direct pressure, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. and I'm going to be comforting somebody who's going to be dying, and this is... Uh, and why I and, and why I assumed the shooting was over, I don't know, because really there was no reason to assume that. But I go out there, and instead of a body on the ground, I find my neighbor, whose name I won't repeat here, but... Uh, he has got his wife in an arm lock, and they're both of them raving on coke. Oh, jeez. And um, I go out there and um, sort of say, uh, hi, nice night. Because <laughs> like, like, the cops haven't come yet, and suddenly it's me and them. Yeah. And uh, uh, so we pass five minutes together, and at which point uh, he proceeds to, to – tell me that she had tried to shoot him and she sort of said, I wish I did too, you, you know, SOB and uh, because you're always beating me. So I get to hear all this. The cops come, guns drawn. They haul her off to jail. Uh, I get uh, subpoenaed to testify. I'm terrified by these people, but I sort of think, well, if I don't, you know, do something now, I don't have any reason to complain. I testify uh, against her. Uh, she's convicted. She gets probation. But at that point, I thought, you know, these people are really dragging this neighborhood down. I wonder if if I could buy them out. And I didn't have the money, but uh, I got my brothers who all chipped in, and we we made an anonymous offer through a, a real estate agent who moved into town and. Uh, uh, he he approached them, and it turned out they wanted to sell. Yeah. And then the real estate agent said, you know, I'm also a contractor on the side, so if you'll let me do the rehab of this house, because believe me, it needed a rehab, uh, I'll rent it from you. Uh, so I said, <laughs> good deal. And um, that's what we did. They moved out, and uh, the, uh, he became tenant, and um, 
and it worked out great because uh, after that the neighborhood just sprang alive, and now it's it's a very you know it's a great place to live yeah. now. Um, so anyway, but here you are in Potomac, and you live in a restored farmhouse. Yeah, and it's perfect. I love the, I love. There's so many McMansions here in Potomac. Yeah. And I got to tell you, um, the the character of your home is just so beautiful. Every no, time we, we we come over for whatever event or a Christmas party or uh, whatnot, just to to hang out, um, it's just a it's a welcoming place. And you know, you'll never go hungry. I will have to say at the <laughs> at the Conway House. Oh, that's good. To, well, that's good to know. Yeah, um, no, I agree with that. But you guys have you've launched some. Campaigns here for yeah. successful. Yeah. Can about what John Delaney was here. And uh, John Delaney's been here a number of times. Jamie Raskin began his. Uh, he announced his campaign here. He actually had to be perfectly accurate. He had an event at the Silver Spring Civic Center, and then he came here and and had a kickoff event. Well, that's foretelling for your. Uh, your well, your... there's a lot of history of this house actually. Uh, John McDonald who was a Civil War hero on the Union side, captain of the Union Army, uh, bought this house in 1863 and came back here after the war and lived here and became one of the first congresspeople from the 6th District of Maryland. So, yeah. uh, actually, so a congressman lived in this house. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, John McDonald did. He, he, he was actually the one who brought... Um, who brought a post office to the crossroads up here and named yeah. it Potomac, not for the river, but for the army of the Potomac. Yeah. Before that, it was off its it was off its crossroads. And just to talk about the history of this house, um, the house was built by Thomas L. Offit. Uh, and uh, he, uh, it goes back to 1820. But the funny thing about that is, is you'd think, wow, everybody would want this house, but 22 years ago, nobody would buy it because it was... Was it in disrepair? It was, yeah. When we bought it, there were raccoons running through it. There were groundhogs in the foundation. There was a massive roof leak and nobody, literally nobody would buy it. And we didn't have any money and we just, but we sort of made up really, we, we basically offered all the money we could afford and the seller said no. And then after six months when nobody else would even take a look at it, they, they finally said, yeah, we got to get rid of this yeah. thing. So, well... Here we are, and so you know, let's. See. You have what? Three kids? Yep. Three children, and they're a couple of them are in college. Uh, one, one, two, two out in the workforce, and one still in college. Yep. And so, wow, that's you got your hands full. You're yeah. a dad of three. You're, you know, look, you're running for for public office in this massive, massive county, and you also have. Some cool hobbies. You're a beekeeper, which yeah. I think is a unique hobby. I've never, I never gotten into it, but I hear you like the best I, honey. I it's it's excellent honey. I highly recommend to anybody who listens to this and is thinking about beekeeping, maybe do it. Yeah, I get you get so much more out of it than you have to put into it. It's not that hard. You don't need a huge amount of room. You basically need eight feet in front of the hive for a flyway in and out. And it's it's fabulous. It's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. And then you're you're a hunter, fisher, fisherman. Uh, like fishing uh, very much. Occasionally hunt. Uh, fishing is really my thing, and yeah. that and kayaking and hiking and uh, yeah. gardening. And yeah. You uh, you you definitely are very active, physically fit guy, and you stay. Stay healthy. You gotta stay healthy for for this campaign. For this, absolutely. I mean, it's I, like the door knocking. You're out and about. I couldn't imagine doing this as somebody as you know as an unhealthy person. Because uh, it's it's physically taxing. Yeah, it is taxing. It's it's draining. Um, 
and you know, I think, like I said earlier, all of us candidates are pretty tired uh, at this point. Yeah, but, yeah. So let's get down to brass tax bill. Um, people want to know who you are, and they have a they have a sense of your background, right? And they they know obviously you're qualified to run for this seat. Um, there's 33 people running, and there's some important issues that are facing this county. Yep. And I think that we live in a great we live in a really great place. Um, good schools. Yeah. We have great jobs. Um, but there are some criticisms of the county. Yep. But I want to talk about your platform, some of the mm -hmm. issues of why you're running. Um, and you have eight different issues that you list on your website, which is BillConwayForCouncil.com. If you're listening again, it's BillConwayForCouncil.com. And you have an issues, face, uh, issues page front and center. Um, the big issues obviously are education, public safety, transportation, the environment, um, and then you talk about diversity, the minimum wage, and some other. Well, things. and also jobs in the economy. Yeah, that's a big one, and well, I want to I want to talk through some of these issues. Sure. So, we have some of our schools in Montgomery County are considered the, really the best in the country. Yep. Um, our children go to fabulous schools. Yeah. Um, they go to one goes to Trevilla, one is graduating from Robert Frost, going into Wooten High School. And I we're we're very blessed to be in the Wooten cluster, and we have um, we have so much to look forward to. The education system here um, is so promising. Kids graduate, they go off and do tremendous things in this world. And as I was sitting at my son's eighth grade graduation yesterday, I was just blown away by how remarkable and how poised and educated and intellectually savvy these young people are and and I know it goes down every generation um and maybe I don't know maybe my parents said the same thing when I was at that age but I just sat back and I'm watching I'm thinking if there was if I had any doubt about the next generation some of these kids who attend Montgomery County schools and graduate they're going to go off and do great things we have nothing to fear in this next generation no, no I I agree with that although where I would jump in at this point and say that that is absolutely true and the schools in the west county are superb my three children went to uh potomac elementary hoover middle school uh winston churchill mm -hmm. and they received a superb education um but you know we we sort of have in this county it's a tale of two counties yes there's there's the there's the affluent montgomery county and there's the county of people who are struggling, uh, parents working two and three jobs. Yeah, let's tell that story. So, and this is, but but in education, it's particularly crucial to talk about it because, um, well, you know, we have a we have an enormous, uh, maybe not enormous, but it's it's significant performance gap mm -hmm. among our kids, gap. our kids. Yes, yeah. sometimes called the achievement gap. Um, between those coming from lower income families and those from more affluent families. And to me, it's a matter of fundamental social justice to um, address that issue and to give every child in this county uh, a, a good opportunity at education and to prepare them for a job in the, in the 21st century. And there's a lot of reasons for that performance gap, and we could talk all all day long about it. But one of the biggest ones is early childhood education or the absence of it for a good chunk of the kids. In Universal pre-K. 
not just pre-K, because that usually refers to four-year-olds. Right. I'm really talking about zero to three-year-olds, because there's, we now have a lot of research that shows there's this unique window of neuroplasticity, where as from zero to three, you need to um, build a number of synapses in the brain through vocabulary, through socialization, through basic numeracy, things like that. And if you don't, if you don't do that within that unique window where, where the, I mean, this is all relative because we have, you know, plasticity continues into the early, you know, into adult life. But, but during this unique window, if you don't get that, you enter kindergarten with a deficit, and it's a deficit you'll struggle for the rest of your life to, to overcome. And so if you want to know one of the big reasons, not the only reason, but one of the big reasons for this performance gap, it's the absence of early childhood education. Now, I had the great luxury growing up. You know, my mom stayed home. And um, I got all that, all that sort of stimulation because it's really that's what it's really all about stimulation um, at home before I entered nursery school. But if you talk to the folks who look at this issue, they'll tell you that for those who can't afford the cost of uh, quality childcare education, uh, which by the way that we're talking fifteen to twenty thousand dollars per child per year. Mm. If you can't afford that, what typically happens is what's euphemistically called family, friends, and neighbors. And family, friends, and neighbors could range, could be perfectly good, um, but more often it is uh, that lady down the street who takes eight people in, who plops those kids or and very young kids in front of a television and or you know in in a cradle or something, and basically they don't move and they don't get. Um, they don't get stimulation. That's not, by the way, not to cast any aspersions on the folks who are doing that, mm -hmm. but that really is not sufficient. It also is almost, you know, frequently done without meeting the requirements of the law in terms of licensing and regulation. So those are the folks, you know, the kids coming from that situation are missing out. And if there's one thing I could do, it would be to find a way to finance early childhood education for everybody for all children in this county. Do we have the money? Right now we don't. Right now we do not. In Montgomery. This is in Montgomery County. It's it's aspirational. Now if um if Amazon comes, which is a whole different discussion. Yeah. If Amazon comes, I think actually we we probably would have the money. Do you think to they do would that. contribute? Well, you know, they have a fairly good reputation of, of sort of being involved in their their communities, but I'm actually thinking not so much about what they might contribute, but in terms of the net tax revenues that would reasonably come from from their investment, it, it, these are these are interchangeably locked. I think the what kind of business and culture that sets up here in Montgomery County, yeah. the types of businesses, and what kind of economic output which will ultimately be given yep. to our education system. And so, if Amazon does come, yeah. and some many of the county council candidates are pushing that, um, yeah. and I think it's a great program. Um, although I am concerned about some of the corporate welfare um, that the state would give, yeah. um, and I think that um, that that is a, a leading concern of mine. But there is, on the flip side of that, if Amazon does come, and I think they're looking at the White Flint location yeah. um, to set up shop, 
imagine what Montgomery County could be transformed into. I, I listen. I agree, and and you know, if you read the literature on economic development, um, most economists would say, and this is based, you know, empirically on the results, um, that you don't do well chasing the great white whale. Right. Um, and and you do much better trying to grow um, incubator startups, um, grow your medium-sized businesses, helping them to expand that sort of thing. But having said, and I agree with that. Uh, and that's, by the way, that's what our Economic Development Corporation is largely focused on. But having said that, uh, Amazon is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And, and we should go for it. Oh, we absolutely should go for it. We would be idiots not to. Yeah. Um, and let's, I mean, the, the, you know, pretty decent modeling by Sage Consulting suggests we would have something on the order of $280 million of net uh, uh revenue, uh, tax revenue each year as a result. And it, it makes sense. And so when it comes to sort of what you called corporate welfare, to me, it's just, we have to be very rigorous about it, which sort of like, what are we putting on the table? And are we going to get a return from it? And in this case, remember, it's $2 billion up front of, of or separate from investment, but of, of transportation infrastructure investment by the state, which we would never get in Montgomery County. But for this, so that's we desperately need transportation we, infrastructure. Right, agreed, and we do. The and funds for that is it would be huge given our massive transportation a, a, issues. Absolutely, that's why that's why it's sort of like yeah. that's for starters. Um, the rest of it is a combination of tax benefits from the state and the county. But remember, those are those are credits against taxes that would otherwise be paid. Which means you don't if you're if you have tax liability, it means you've made the investment and. Um, you know, the, the reasonable projections beyond what we would have to give up are highly positive, right. hundreds of millions of dollars. And so I feel like we have to go for that. And if we do, coming back to the issue of early childhood education, that would be a priority for me to find a way to do that. Not, by the way, through extending the MCPS bureaucracy. I think you, you, you have a, an existing human infrastructure, human capital of early child care uh, education specialists. It's in no way big enough right now to deal with um, what would happen if you, if you provided for universal care, but it, you should not sort of just do away with that. Um, so I, I look for a system that would provide probably a, a combination of refundable tax credits and vouchers because parents need to be able to make this these choices about, you know, what am, where am I going to have my child uh, during the day? You know, just about every economist that's ever looked at this subject said the returns on doing this, implementing right. it, are astronomically large. And they're both, they're not just long-term in terms of, you know, greater productivity, lesser criminality, whatever, uh, but they're short-term in terms of parents who are working two and three jobs being able to have stable Childcare situations, and so you get you get fairly quick returns in terms of economic productivity. So, what if the county council member? What would be the role if Amazon decides to come here? What would what would be the interaction with the county? How could they make their that transition smooth? How would they interact with Amazon as a as a company? What would be Bill Conway's role in that? I mean, as a as a member of the council. Yeah, I, it's a good question. Um, I think what I count on is to have honest conversations with the leadership of that company, so that we're all on the same page. 
to say, hey, look, this is where we are. This is county. where we are. This is what we need you to be. We we want to have the 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 uh, channels of communication open. Uh, we don't expect to just well the way this is structured right now. I don't worry too much about it, but we're certainly not going to give you something for nothing. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I don't actually expect that to be the problem. I think the issue is going to be with sort of timing, transitioning, working together to try to um, make this a seamless transition. I expect, by the way, if Amazon comes, if they come, it will be disruptive. There's almost no way for there to be you know, a, a measure of disruption. But keep in mind, and a lot of folks kind of forget this, is that White Flint, the White Flint one and two sector plans have been, they, have an, they are an eerily good match with what Amazon's looking for. Meaning, you know, Amazon's looking for 8 million square feet, Mm. White Flint one and two, eight million square feet. Amazon's got fifty thousand jobs. White Flint was planned. White Flint one and two are planned for about forty-eight thousand jobs, including tra uh, uh, transportation infrastructure improvements, including uh, uh, action on schools. So uh, it's not uh, even with that. Even though it's and then keep in mind that was for White Flint one and two. That's planned for you know more than twenty years. This would probably unfold over you know five to seven years, but. Um, even with that, I, I anticipate there's, there's going to be disruption. Yeah. Um, and, but, but as I sit back from it, is that worth it? Yeah, it's worth it. Of course it's worth it. I think this would, this would establish the, uh, economic foundations of Montgomery County going into the future. And it would yeah. be a very good thing. I think so too, but we first have to solve a couple of problems. One is infrastructure. Yep. One is the transportation problems that we have. And yep. not all of our transportation, we don't have all problems, but Bill, we live in Potomac and North Potomac respectively, and we use our interstate highways uh, yep. like 270, and we know that we have a massive, massive traffic congestion problem. Yep. And I think, I mean, the easy answer is to say, we just need less cars on the road, right? Well, and that's one that's one plausible uh, hypothesis that you could say. But the problem is, is that we have all these cars coming and all these people. Well, and many of them actually leave the county yep. to go to work. I I used to it myself, and that's that's problematic. But first, looking at where we live, let's start with the American Legion Bridge. Yep. And you and I have both. Um, crossed that many times, no pun intended, um, and it's it really is a problem because it yeah. wasn't built for the amount of traffic that we had. No, that's right. So um, first of all, um, we we haven't we we sort of touched on growing jobs in the economy because that's crucial. But you know, of my top three priorities, frankly, are growing jobs in the economy, dealing with our choking traffic congestion, and and the the issues of the um, performance gap that we've already talked about. But yes, you're right. Um, when I look at the overall transportation situation, for, first of all, remember that uh, traffic congestion is not a linear function. Right. So you, you, you don't need to have to get, you don't have to get everybody out of their cars. You don't even have to get most people out of their cars. You just need to get a significant number of people out of their cars and into mass transit to help traffic flow. And right. there's lots of good reasons for that you know, um, environmentally in terms of quality of life and, and, and everything else. So 
my prescription would be for an all of the above approach in terms of heavy emphasis on mass transit. But coming back to where you, you were, I do think one of the road projects that is very much needed is either expansion of American Legion Bridge, or I've been told that there is the room to possibly narrow the lanes and increase throughput. You would do that. Um, that would that would involve a uh, speed reduction, but compared to what we got, that would be fine. And it, you would what we have now is where traffic comes to a standstill. Yeah, exactly. So if you were reducing traffic speed to 50 miles an hour going over the bridge, like big deal. That's such a that is such a. Could they build another bridge on top of it? They could, but I don't think that's. Um, I, I think that's first of all, that's incredibly expensive. But I also don't think it's. But I don't the think GW it's bridge. Um, yeah, no, I, I know. I, uh, but, but what you would couple that with uh, two re reversible lanes on 270, because there is the room yeah. to add that. And the key there, as compared to the Beltway, is uh, there's the room to do it. You could add two reversible lanes without either with no condemnation at all or very, very little. It's very easy to do. Would it be that, a lot of money? Not compared to... You know, widening the beltway, it's not. I don't... Uh, because I think if the, uh, there's an opinion out there that if you just widen it, it's going to bring more cars. Well, let's talk about that. So this is the issue. This is the whole um, subject of what's called induced traffic, yeah. right? And let's remember there are different reasons for traffic increasing as a result of capacity. Right. Okay? One, which is bad, which I'm definitely opposed to, is... Um, you induce sprawl as a result. In other words, you created a highway, now people are living much further out, and you're developing areas that probably shouldn't be developed because you're... Like the Ag Reserve. Well, like the Ag Reserve, which I definitely do not want to see development right. in. But, but also, you know, let's just say hypothetically that by widening the Beltway, suddenly you're creating all this development opportunity. We, that's not really the case in Montgomery County. You know, we're, we, have, we have a pretty, pretty set... Um, uh, zoning regime, so you're not like by widening the beltway, you're not like sort of opening up all this new territory that's just going to be be filled in. Okay, right. so that's one that's one way of one uh, mode of induced traffic. Another mode of induced traffic, which you'll talk about, is well, people make the uh, discretionary trips that they wouldn't otherwise make because the road capacity is there. And I get, I talk to my, you know, my my um, transit friends and, and sort of the folks who weigh into this all the time, but I just don't buy the notion that, because remember, our issue in Montgomery County is not an overall road capacity problem. It's a peak demand problem. Right. The notion that somebody is going to get on 270 to go to the grocery store now where they wouldn't have before seems, it's not that I say it can't happen, but it seems it's it's a little bit stretched. That is not really what people are doing. And you say, when you say peak, it's a peak problem. I yes. mean, if you think about my, when my wife goes to work into Bethesda in the morning, she has to be at work at 9 o'clock, right? Yeah. And we are – she's 12 miles away from um, where she works at uh, in downtown Bethesda. Otherwise, I mean – Right now, from where we are, it would take 20 minutes to get to business, yep. maybe yep. even less. Yeah. When she leaves our house at 8 o'clock in the morning, sometimes she doesn't get there until about 8.55. She parks and goes up and gets her day started, yeah. and it's a peak hour. When I would go across the American Legion Bridge at 7.30 in the morning, it, uh, you know, 
Bill, I would take River Road down to the 495 right, right, yeah. split, and that would alleviate some of the traffic coming out of Gaithersburg. Yeah. Um, and that would mitigate my commute. I would, you know, I sometimes would take Clara Barton. Yeah. I would, I would do everything that I can to avoid sitting in traffic. Um, yeah. And the peak times here are what six to nine. Yeah. About that. Yeah. And then three until seven. So I think that's about right. Is that right? Yeah, that's about right. Although three is a little, I mean, is that a little early? No, well, it, it, it's cars are beginning to come onto the road. I don't think you've got you know serious congestion at, at, at three. But but just to continue on sort of sources of induced traffic, the last the last source of induced traffic is frankly economic growth because it is true that any road you build, if if the area around it is growing economically, sooner or later there's going to be more traffic. Well, sure, but that's, that's not, logical, but, and and that's not a bad thing. Is my right. my point. So I. I I want to be clear that the first thing I want to do is focus on our mass transit solutions, um, particularly bus rapid transit. On uh, and better, uh Well, that that would be part part of part of the uh, quarter cities transit way. But yes, but that on Route 29, on Rockville Pike, on Beers Mill. You'd have to um, have a dedicated lane, of course. Uh, it's a mix, actually. Right. I think it is a mix, and and part of that, some of that's being worked out. But also, let's not forget Mark. We need better Mark service. Oh yeah. And Major. and we could and that could actually be quite a game changer in terms of the Brunswick line in getting you know sort of uh, if not all day all day service uh, much more expanded service you know bigger cars that can make a huge difference. What about so metro? Uh, would you support a plan to expand a metro system up into Clarksburg? Oh, I love the idea, but that is wildly is that way out there. Yeah, it's it's, it's I mean. It's yeah. It's it's not. What about real. a? Li- I've heard ideas of something like a light rail, from that would go into the center of the Beltway. Well, um, I mean, folks have talked about light rail also, um, or even heavy rail to to, to Frederick, which would be, that would be a, great. I mean, a great thing. But, but expensive. Yeah, that's. I mean, in all of these discussions, we we have to think where about like money. where do you get the money? What's your biggest bang for the buck? By the way, let's go back a step. The Transportation Planning Board of the Council of Governments, Metropolitan Council of Governments, did mm-hmm. a study at the end of 2017 where they looked at, you know, all, all the things you could do. And their number one pick for the thing you should do that is most cost-effective, fairly cheap, is what they call transportation demand management. What do they mean by that? Uh, it means uh, stretching out the uh, rush hour. By sort of, and, and this requires cooperation of private of private employers, but sort of saying, because we have a peak traffic issue, if you get more people going to work at say seven in the morning rather than eight in the morning, you start to stretch the rush hour out, and and because it's not a linear function, as I said, traffic starts moving better. Right. More telecommuting, uh, subsidize mass transit. Uh, by you know by employers rather than subsidizing parking, all those things fall under what the Transportation Planning Board calls transportation demand management, and they have a surprisingly large effect at a relatively cheap cost. So we should start there. Right. But there's all kinds of things. We need better signal light technology. I mean, there's advanced technology out there. That I can will, tell you that about will... fine stoplights now that oh, are they're just stupid. way out of sync. They're, stu- they're stupid. It's and that's stupid. a function of county government where you have to make sure that 
you're not sitting in traffic for too long, and you want your stoplights to work. And you do. Where it, it, there's nothing more frustrating than sitting in traffic. You right. sat with a long light, and you've just got through that light, and you go a couple hundred yards. Now you're at another. I'll light tell you where you, it is. Uh, three fifty-five in West Goody. I yeah. go that way all the time because I go to a Shell station yeah. right down the street from there, and I go to um, I get my car worked on at Meineke right across the street from there. It's it's that problem, and so that's that's an interesting solution, and and it's one that needs to be corrected. But all these questions, you know, I'm saying you're running for office, but it's like why isn't the county doing this now? I mean, and I know that they're making great strides to do well, so. Well, um, this, I mean, first of all, they they have done some of this. I mean, we have we have uh, investments in advanced signal light technology in parts of the county, but it's not well. It's not well dispersed, it's, and, and it's, it's, we've kind of dipped our toe in the yeah. water. So I don't want to say we haven't tried it, but I think we got to do a lot more about it. Honestly, um, I think the issue, and this is a fundamental issue, coming back to it, which is that our needs are vastly exceeding our revenues. And if we don't get that one straight, the rest of it kind of becomes irrelevant. Are, um, are you concerned in the future on at the council level that is there a possibility that there could be another tax increase? I don't think a tax increase, it's not that it can never occur, but I don't see a tax increase in the near future. I mean, because we just raise taxes for property right, taxes, right? Eight point what? I mean, so when you talk about when you add property taxes together with our piggyback income tax, that's yeah. something like 85% of it. And then there are other taxes like our energy tax and our um, uh, recreation transfer tax, a couple of other things like that. But um, most pe mostly what we don't control the piggyback income tax. We're at the state max right now. So we're, we're, when you're really talking about tax increases, you're really talking about property tax increases. And no, I don't see that as realistic. I think uh, Montgomery County uh, residents feel tax burdened as it is. And heck, some of our, a lot of our seniors can't even afford to stay in their houses where they've lived for, you know, 30, 40 years because our property taxes are so high. That's a bad, um, that's a bad situation. I don't see uh, property taxes increasing anytime soon. I don't see that as realistic. Um, and so unless we're going to start cutting services. Um, we don't want that. No, we don't. I, 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 one of the reasons I like living here is this is the kind of place that believes in reaching a helping hand down to people who are in need. Yeah. Whether that is the elderly, whether it's people in poverty, whether it's people with disabilities, whether it's recent immigrants, this is a place that, that extends a helping hand. And I don't want to change that. So um, we got to grow our economy. The other alternative, by the way, is to find more efficiency in county government. I think there is... Uh, from what I, you know, talking around, they're probably we could probably do a better job, but that's not going to get us the increase in revenues relative to needs that right. we really need. We really have to grow our tax base through better jobs and uh, new businesses. Because stepping back from it, here's here's the real fundamental issue. The fundamental issue is 15 years ago, our revenues were sufficient. It was a very affluent county. We're still an affluent county, but the but the uh, proportion of lower income residents and, by the way, aging residents, all of whom have increasing needs, is, is sort of unbalanced our economy. We need to rebalance it by attracting uh, better paying jobs, 
new businesses. That's got to be our focus, like laser beam. And that takes a while, yeah. by the way. That's, by I mean, the that's, way, people want to move here. They want to be in the center of Bethesda. They want to be in Silver Spring. But what is the problem with people wanting to move here? Is affordable housing. Yes. How do we make housing? How how can a county council yeah. ensure that you know a, a middle class family home in downtown Silver Spring yeah. or in Bethesda is what is it? It's like a million dollars. Yeah, people I know. Can't it's, afford it's, that. It's out of control. It's absolutely out of control. So um, we have programs. As right. you know, we have the uh, moderately priced dwelling unit program. We have the Housing Opportunities Commission, with, and we have tax advantage um, uh, financing of, of homes for you know that are affordable, uh, whether it's rental or ownership. Those those things they are more than a drop in a bucket, but they don't move the needle as much as we need to. And this is something I talk about on the stump a lot. We don't get to repeal the laws of supply and demand. Yeah, right. And and fundamentally, and this, by the way, this this is this is important to realize. This is not just a Montgomery County problem. This is a DMV problem. It's a problem with most metropolitan areas, major metropolitan areas in the United States. And the is the fundamental issue is uh, the scarcity value of housing in particular. It's the land cost associated with multifamily housing. Now. Um, and and this is this is just a strict function of supply and demand. We should stop trying to pretend or turn the other way from from that fact. So I'm very influenced by a national writer in this area. His name is Rick Kallenberg, who's written extensively on this subject. And one of the points he makes, and I, I think it's a very valid one, is one reason housing, multifamily housing, because that's what we're talking about at entry level, whether it's you know apartment buildings or townhouses. Um, one of the reasons for that is uh, the scarcity value of land. Why is land value so scarce? Because of typical zoning, which, res which reserves huge amounts of a jurisdiction for single-family housing and forces multifamily housing into smaller areas. Now, I don't want to freak out listeners and have them think that somehow I'm suggesting Let's build 20-story apartment buildings everywhere. But I do think if we're really thinking about the economics of this and really trying to move the needle, that we need to start having a conversation about maybe the areas that are zoned strictly for single-family housing need to be a little more flexible. Uh, maybe we need to you know, permit more townhouses, uh, you know, quad units, duplexes. We have an accessory dwelling unit program right now. Let's let's see if right. we can't make it work better because this is at the end of the day this is supply and demand. If you really want to um, help the housing situation, you got to build more housing. Now the other thing I would mention is the East County is crying out for development, including more housing. Why is it not happening? There's a lot of reasons. When you say East County, you're talking about Silver Spring. No, the... I'm I'm actually thinking more towards you know White Oak, Burtonsville, oh, okay. areas areas like that. Okay. Um, and that's certainly something the county has planned. Yeah, geez, that is East County. Yeah. yeah, that's something the county has planned for. Um, why you know why is it going so slowly? Because here's the thing, you know people sometimes forget that when it comes to county planning through the planning board, through what the county council does, we don't actually 
ever get to require anybody to build anything. All we do is set the, set the ground rules. And they have to have the market uh, realities or the market incentives to be able to, to do that. Why, why have we not seen more development in these counties? First of all, I think we're going to with Viva White Oak and other mm-hmm. developments. But this gets it gets it's a multi-variable problem, and one of the big issues is oh, come back to it, schools. Yeah. Um, schools drives a lot of decisions in terms of housing and where people live. Another yet another reason why we need to build up uh, East County East County schools. So, you know, it, it may sound like a cop out, but almost every major issue we talk about is a it presents the conflict of valid considerations, but b it often is multiple it's a complex issue because you've got multiple factors yeah. that are that are playing in bill we touched on quite a few issues tonight economic development education the achievement gap infrastructure affordable housing when you're out in the stump when you're knocking doors when you're at forums uh specifically what are what are what are the truly the citizens saying bill these are the issues that we care about what are those issues um I think, honestly, I think it's those three. Certainly traffic and schools are on the tip of their tongues. More often in the West County, it's overcrowding, which is a very serious problem. You know, East County, it's, it's more performance gap. But, yeah. but, but traffic and schools are right up there. Um, as I've argued here, I think objectively, it's got to be we got to grow our revenues because if we don't do that, we're, we're done. And, and I actually think my, my experience knocking doors, and I, and I see lots of evidence of this, is that the voters are waking up to that fact. Right. They realize, because the objective, the objective evidence is, is overwhelming in this respect. I mean, our private sector employment has actually gone down in the county over the last uh, 15 years. It's we haven't massive. created a whole lot of new jobs. No, you'll hear this. We created six new businesses last actually? year. Yeah, it, it is and it's not. It's, it's, it's a misleading figure because it excludes a lot of stuff. For example, it excludes, uh, as I understand it, sole proprietorships. But, uh-huh. on, on a, but on a apples-to-apples basis, where you look using the same measure to some other jurisdictions, it's perfectly valid, looking at D.C. and looking at Fairfax County, where they have, they have uh, created many times that. So we have not created, I mean, indisputably, we have not created uh, the number of jobs or attracted the kinds of new businesses we, we need to be doing. We just haven't. And, then, and I think voters are waking up to that. And there's a huge amount of objective evidence. And by the way, we're seeing the implications in our, in our county budget. Um, this past year, the county had to cut back on issuance of general obligation bonds. Why? Because we would have lost our, our AAA bond rating. We dipped into some pension benefits to fund current operations. That's, to my mind, that's a terrible thing. That's like heroin. This is how so many municipalities and jurisdictions have gotten in trouble. This is, uh, and I think they know that, by the way. I've heard council members say- Harrisburg, is, Pennsylvania is a well, prime example. There you go. It's not just, but I mean, you can, I mean, this has been, this has been the big mistake that local yeah. governments made throughout yeah. the county, I mean, throughout the country. This is a terrible thing to do. So we can't do that. And the fact that we're doing that tells you our needs are exceeding our revenues. We've got to get our revenues up. And by the way, we're not going to be able to do that just in one year. If Amazon comes, God bless them. But they may not come. And in that case, we're on a, probably a 10-year trajectory to raise up our tax base through better jobs and new businesses. 
Yeah, I agree. So, you know, we have about a minute and 20 seconds, and I like to keep <laughs> it at an hour because we get wonky in these interviews, yeah, and yeah. people are like, well, man, we need a cocktail. So No, one, no one's ever said, Bill, yeah. you're not wonky enough. I love it, Bill. I think it's great. I'm always interested in candidates that can talk these intricate policies and make sense of it all, and that's why um, I wanted to have you on the show. But um, leave... Leave the listeners with something that you want them to remember you by in this campaign. So, well, this is actually one of my, I, I, I say this on the stump a lot because I really, I really am optimistic. I think the com- combination of education and the incredible energy that the diversity of our population brings are sources of huge strength. Um, Pope John the 23rd, one of the great humanitarian popes, uh, had great advice for dealing with a world of seemingly insurmountable problems. And at first it seems very modest, but it's actually very realistic. He said, see everything, overlook a great deal, correct a little. And as I say, at first that sort of doesn't really inspire correct a little. I mean, where are the great solutions? But the truth is, if, you're, if we are always working together, to correct things just a little bit, uh, one day we'll look back along the longer moral arc of the universe and realize we've traveled very far indeed. I think that's what government has to do. We yeah. have to be always working to improve things just a little bit and realize we, we're dealing with a world of difficult problems. Just remember that our founders said a more perfect union. Yes, a more perfect union. Right. Yes, and, exactly. And it doesn't mean that it has to be perfect. Just more. It's a growing perfection. Yes, and in this great American experiment that we call America, yeah. um, even down at the very local level as Montgomery County, Maryland, people like you and others get involved in county politics to ensure these very basic fundamental issues of education, making sure people can get to point A to point B without too much hassle, yeah. and bringing out the best and making sure that county government is on the side of helping people start a business, create one, and employing us. So with that, Bill, I want to say thanks for, for doing this. Um, your website is BillConwayForCouncil.com. Dot com. Um, you're on Twitter, you're on Facebook, and the election is June 26th. Early voting begins on June 14th. That's June uh, 21st. When, that's a Thursday, right? Uh, yes, I think that's right. Yeah, that's a Thursday. You guys are going to be out and about and knocking doors, continuing to. Do, I don't know if you have any more forums. I hope. No, I don't think so. I don't oh, think so. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. People have been too intimidated by those forums. So hey, at least I mean, you don't have to do any more questionnaires. Yeah. Oh, thank God. Thank yeah. God for that. Those are the bane of all of our existence. Well, Bill, thanks for doing this tonight, and thanks for uh, thanks for running. Seriously, I mean that. Um, it takes a lot of gumption to get off the couch and actually want to put your name on a ballot. There's going to be you know a lot of long nights. It's not always easy. It's tough no. on the family, physically taxing, as we discussed. But I appreciate you running, and I appreciate you wanting to make our community that we call home a better place. So thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me, Ryan. All right. Cheers. It's great to be here. Okay, that was candidate Bill Conway running for the Montgomery County Council. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show for today. Thank you for listening, everybody. You can find me on the web at aminordetail.com. My name is Ryan Miner, and I am your host of a Minor Detail radio podcast. Have a great day.